Hey friends, welcome to the Cultivate Hope podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Robinson, and I want to invite you to come alongside me as we hear stories, gain wisdom, and even some helpful tools from some of my friends. These are people who have experienced challenging seasons of life that have tested their faith. We can all learn from those who've dug those deep trenches and have found their way to the other side of hopelessness. So let's start digging together and cultivate hope. Friends, I am so excited to introduce you to our very first guest, author, speaker, teacher, my sorority sister and friend, Ainsley Britton Glenn. Ainsley helps young adults embrace their confidence, date healthy, and discover their identity in Christ through their multiple books, Wild Confidence Podcast, and Enneagram Coaching. Her new book, Don't Date a Boo-Boo Dude, is now available everywhere you buy books. And we have the opportunity to hear a bit of her story today to find hope in the midst of abusive relationships. Now, this is a trigger warning for those of you who have lived through a similar story, or who might have littles around. Whether this is your story or not, this topic needs to be covered. We all have something to learn and can gain insight into how we can better love and serve our brothers and sisters in a meaningful way. So join me in welcoming to the podcast, Ainsley Britton Glenn. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on. Um, So real quick, I ask everybody at the very beginning, how would you define hope? What is your definition of hope? Man, I was thinking about this earlier and I feel like hope can be a lifeline that is sometimes blind optimism, sometimes faith, and sometimes just all that we have left. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's kind of like comes to my mind. That's so good. Because it can really be any of those things, honestly. Like, that's really good. Dang. You came out the gate hard there. It just depends on like, (laughs) it just depends on what it's in, right? Like sometimes if it's blind optimism or just all you have left, like what is it founded in? I don't know. It could be in so many, so many things. And then um, obviously if it's faith, then it's, you know, founded in faith and a lot more powerful, but I think whenever I'm thinking of a broad stroke of hope, I'm like, man, it could be any of those things. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. And I love that because everybody can identify with one of those for sure. Yeah. So I really want to dig into your story. Um, cause I know abuse is something you have a bit of a personal experience with and something that you're familiar with and have talked a lot about on your platform, on your Instagram and, um, in this upcoming book, don't date a boo-boo dude. So I'd like you to just to kind of give us a little bit of background about that story and kind of how you found yourself in a place of feeling lost or like your hope was fragile in that time. Yes, absolutely. So my story definitely, um, unfortunately, has sounded familiar to a lot of young adults or high school students that I've led or mentored. Um, And I mean, I hate that, but I also know that, you know, everything I do is for the next girl. So everything that the Lord is doing in my life is for the next girl. Um, As long as I'm, you know, listening to him about the lessons and the things that he's trying to tell me, I can pour that back out. So I am thankful for that. But, you know, whenever I was a young adult, I will say, I was in this relationship and I just had no clue that it was abusive. Um, I knew that it was, something was weird because I had never fought with a boyfriend before. I know that sounds crazy, but I literally had just never fought with a guy. I, <laughs> just I had very peaceful relationships, very peaceful endings. Like it was just yeah. nothing crazy. So then whenever this happened, I was very jarred and very just like, I don't, I don't know what this is. Like, I don't know, are do I need to rescue you? Like, am I, I don't know, subject to this for the rest of my life? Like, I just didn't really understand it, but I did know that something felt weird. Something felt off and something was keeping me from intimacy with the Lord. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I had grown up in the church. I had, you know, all the head knowledge of salvation and um, grace and just everything that I was taught in Sunday school. And I think that some of it may have been what kept me there because I was like, no, um, you know, the Lord, I'm showing him the fruit of the spirit. Right. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I'm not <laughs> because I mean, I, a, I might be, but not in a way that he would get it. Right. You know, like right. I was still, you know, not having any boundaries in the right places and uh-huh. not really showing him God's love whenever I was enabling some of his really toxic behavior, because I thought that this was just how it went, I guess. So it was about like three months in, you know, everything was kind of normal until about three months, three months in. And then it felt like, I guess he, he kind of felt comfortable enough to let his guard down. And he started to get physically abusive, verbally, emotionally, any way that you could possibly be abusive was what was happening. But again, I did not realize that I just thought that this was this was him like this was he was stressed or mm-hmm. this was just I was the only person who could ever love him because he was so unique and so um wow. I don't know whatever Chip, I feel like so many people have said something similar to that where like they don't realize mm-hmm. what's happening until it's like almost too late or you know they're in the midst of being really assaulted or harmed or you know manipulated. 100%, 100%. And that's the thing, right? Manipulation is that it's altering your thinking. It's playing on your emotions. It's playing all these games. And that's exactly what was happening. And, you know, whenever I was thinking about like, okay, what even is the definition of abuse? It's, you know, to treat a person with cruelty or violence regularly and repeatedly. And when I think about that definition, I'm like, that's 100% what was happening. I was being called names. I was being uh, locked in an apartment for three days. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> which in the, oh yeah, it was crazy. That's terrifying. But it was also like, I just didn't know. Like, I just didn't know mm-hmm. that that was as bad as it gets, I guess. Not as bad as it gets. It probably isn't as bad as it gets, but it's mm. as bad as it got for me, right? Right. For, it to be like, okay, this is insane. And it was during that time that I had this thought that was like, is he going to kill me? And that's whenever I knew like, okay, this is like way beyond any reasonable relationship fighting kind of thing. You know, whenever you have that thought, it's like, whoa, okay. And it kind of like snapped me back into on this planet, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I sought help from um, that guy's mentor and that mentor did nothing. Um, really pretty much told me to stay in it. Yeah. You uh, it was, yeah. Uh, do you think it was because of their allegiance to him or do you think it was because they really didn't think what was happening was abusive or something? Probably both. Probably oh, both. That's so hard to, man. How did yeah. you, how do you go from that? Cause I feel like if I was in that situation and I'm already feeling this hopelessness of being stuck in this relationship and being mm-hmm. stuck in this like abusive environment, that's cyclical. That's like, now it's a cycle. Yeah. And then you finally get up the courage to confide in someone that you trust. That's a mentor. And then mm-hmm. you have that, that feels like a level, like, you know, your hope would just drop basically to your gut like how did you find or what was the moment for you when you felt a shift from like okay I'm feeling as hopeless as I know this isn't safe I know this isn't a good relationship I know that I need to get out to okay here's the first step to getting out how do you do that in a safe way and in a way that um doesn't keep you from trusting again how do you do that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll say this. I think the bummer part of my story is that I didn't leave. Mm. Um, I, I wish I had the strength to have been the one to leave because then I could really lay out a map. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but uh, he broke up with me and uh, well, praise God. Can we all just thank you, Jesus? Oh yeah. 
Thank you, Jesus. That's exactly right. The mercy really, of God. I mean, when I, when I tell you, I, so I remember sitting in my bedroom, which is where he, he like came over to my apartment and I was just sitting there and he was like, he broke up with me there. And I literally out loud said, Lord, what are you teaching me? Like during the breakup, <laughs> Wow! little did I know he was about to teach me a whole lot, but I kind of wow. like knew, like, I knew that like, that God was teaching me something in this whole thing. Like, I don't know. It was, it felt very supernatural for that to even come out of my mouth. Right. But I will say that, you know, since then looking back, I wish I would have found a safe person in my corner that like was you know, my, on my team, so to speak. The problem is, is that I was so isolated from my team. Right. It was just a little bit harder to see through that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, blockage, but I mean, even I think about my mom, she's an extremely safe person for me and yeah. she always was and always have, has been. Mm-hmm. So, you know, identifying a safe person, knowing the hotlines that are available 24 seven confidential now, like the domestic violence hotline or anything like that. I wish I would have known those because I at least could have identified those behaviors earlier on. If I just had an anonymous person to talk to, I think that would have been incredibly helpful. And it would have felt, it would have explained the situation to me where I was like validated right in, you know, my experience and my thoughts. And then I also just wish I wouldn't have shared my location with him ever. Um, like on your phone. I think that is, yeah. Like I find my friends. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. Um, Mm. I, I wish I wouldn't have done that because it just was a breeding ground for arguments and, uh, you know, then at the, yeah, mistrust. And then at the end of that, like what you have to turn off your location and then it's like weird. It's just a whole thing, you know, that's just so weird. So I really wish that like, you know, those are some of the first steps I wish I would have taken. Um, the rug was really just pulled right out from under me. So my steps look completely different. It looked straight into healing or or grief and then into healing. That's what my steps kind of looked like because it was just ripped out from under me. But if I was like talking to someone else about, first steps in getting out of this kind of thing. That's what I would say is find a safe person, know the hotlines and do not share your location. Those are probably the very, very first baby steps. Right. Um, And then like, when it comes to the second part of your question about like, you know, future relationships. Yeah. Even the people that you do trust, Mm -hmm. I think, because I feel like trust can become confusing at that point, even with people you already trust and you've you've always thought we're safe and have always been safe. Did you find yourself questioning those people? I think the, the only reason I didn't mm-hmm. is because his behavior was so different than theirs. Okay. You know, I had known them for yep. so long, thinking about my mom or my best friend and all of that. And like, even though I was isolated from them, mm-hmm. I, I still felt like he was the odd one out kind of. Um, yeah. yeah. Did any so of your friends know? What, they knew, but they didn't know what to do. Okay. I understand. They were very aware that I was being isolated, but they didn't know the, the extreme part of it. In fact, um, I went to my roommate at the time, I recently, probably a year ago, or maybe a little bit more than a year we hadn't spoken in probably years. We had like randomly kept in touch, but we hadn't really sat down to talk. And I drove 11 hours to her house uh, right before or during the writing process of this book. And I just was like, hey, I just wanna, I guess, sit down and be like, what was your point of view? What did you think about this whole thing? Were you aware of what was going on? Like all of this stuff. And she was aware of maybe, maybe 50% of it maybe. Wow. And so it was incredibly healing for us to sit down and talk. And she was very safe. Um, but she didn't feel safe at the time because she didn't know what to do. She didn't have the tools. Right. right? Right. And how are you supposed to have the tools as a young adult to walk your friend through something that you've never experienced or they've never experienced. And it's just so new, you know? Yeah. But I will say that the thing that I, I want to tell people is do not hold everyone prisoner when it's not their crime. Oh, when it comes good. to trust. That's so good. 
That is so good. We all need to hear yes. that. Because I feel like that's abuse or not. <laughs> every situation in life, every yeah. relationship you have, that is such a good word. Say that again. Yeah. I <laughs> Do not hold everyone prisoner when it's not their crime. I actually didn't put this in the book and I kind of wish I would have now that I'm saying it out loud. Oh my but, gosh. That's um, a shirt. That's a merch. Some, I mean, put it everywhere. That's so good. <laughs> put it on a coffee mug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll drink out of that. <laughs> but, but that's what I think it was like so important to restore hope and trust because mm-hmm. whenever you're going through restoration, especially with the Lord, yeah. man, you have to trust, you mm-hmm. have to trust him. And if you can trust the creator of the universe, he's going to give you the power to trust people around you who are safe. And he's going to give you the discernment to, uh, you know, see, he's going to give you 2020 vision from that moment forward. And that way is what the second part I think would be is don't put your, your worth in the hands of the unworthy, which is any human, any human. Right. I was just talking the other day with, um, another podcast guest we have, and we were talking about how it's kind of interesting how we do this. And I think it is when we put our trust in other people and they let us down mm-hmm. and then we automatically turn to God and say, you let me down. Yeah. Where, what was that like for you? You know, what was your relationship like with God when that ended and when you were walking through that healing process and kind of even your grief process of just like having to sit with this happened to me. Yeah. And you know, it was terrible. And I know a lot of us would go, God, why did you let that happen to me? You know, a lot of us would say Mm -hmm. that. And then a lot of us would say, well, I don't know if I trust you because you let that happen to me. Was that something you felt or where were you with God? I'm not going to speak for you. Where were you? I think what the viewpoint that you're talking about is extremely, um, relevant and, and popular and common. I'm, I am, and always have been very aware of the enemy's tactics and the enemy is logical, right? So what is he going to use to get to you? Mm -hmm. Whatever your struggle is, whatever your, you know, anything and anything that's specific, he's very specific with his attacks and he knows what you struggle with. It's not a mystery. Mm -hmm. So for me, the feeling I don't know he he got to the emotions of for me and whenever I was free from that relationship I felt a release of oh the enemy doesn't have me anymore because that was not of the Lord that relationship was not of the Lord I was not connected to the vine in that relationship so I really felt like just a release and almost a a supernatural piece that I couldn't really identify Mm -hmm. at the time. But I also knew like, I'm so heartbroken and gutted and I don't know what my future holds. I don't know what this looks like. I have no clue, but I do know that there's freedom Mm -hmm. in this. I I just felt freedom. Like there was one time I was driving down Franklin Pike and I literally hadn't turned on worship music in a year probably. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to turn it on. I'm just going to try it out. And literally, as soon as that, the first note came out of that radio, I just started bawling, crying. I pulled over my car. My arms seemed to like raise themselves. And I like, it was literally like the Holy spirit took over my motor functions. And I just said, freedom, freedom, Mm, freedom. And I I could not say any other word. I could not say any other word. So to me, my relationship with the Lord was like, what the heck are you doing? Mm -hmm. But also thank you so much for just coming back because I think I was very aware of my prodigal in the whole thing. You know, like I, I knew that I was running away. This was on me. Um, and I think that we don't often take our responsibility Mm -hmm. in that, which is a kind of a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. But it's true. Like, do you almost feel, correct me if I'm wrong, what I think I'm hearing is almost as if your hope for the time being while you were in the relationship was almost in your relationship and in that situation. Yes. And then when it ended and you were able to grieve and it was like, I'm free now, you almost, it was almost like I see you like having this like weight drop off you and then you fall into the arms of Jesus like a trust fall, just like 
you were able to just shift your trust and your hope so fast because of your history with the Lord and because of your knowledge of the Lord, just knowing his character and who he is and who he's been to you. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. To, to, for people who, you know, have a relationship with the Lord or have their hope in something or have had their hope in something that has been a rock for them, whether it was throughout an abusive situation or not, whether you lost your way from that or not, when it, when you finally come out of it, knowing that that hope will be there to catch you, I think is huge to, to have that to look forward to, because I think hope is also very futuristic where it's something that you can look forward to. You need something to grasp onto, to be able to clutch it again. 1000%. Like, I mean, and that's kind of one of the things I was saying earlier was like, sometimes it's just all we have left. And that's really what it felt like for me. So whenever it was all I had left, my humanness was very apparent to me. And whenever all I had left was the shred of hope in this faith that I had abandoned for a year yeah. or so, it was such a relief because I was like, man, now I can go back to something that I know is never fails me. And yeah. man, it was just absolutely That's life-changing. Awesome. And then I've <laughs> been, been the same since. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And there's hope, hope after there's so much hope after because you're a living, walking testament to it. Um, will you give us a little bit of insight into what actually like the healing process looks like, look like for you specifically? I know it can look different for everybody, but specifically, like where did healing begin? And, and how did you feel like you got to the side of like, my hope is solid now. My hope is, is placed in the right spot. I'm solid. It's a rock. Um, even to the place where I know since you're married now, where you're like, I'm ready to date again. How'd you get there? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, this is my favorite part of the story because it really is. Um, I mean, that's the, the, it's the power of the story, right? Yeah. So I, you know, had that freedom experience in my car and then I was like, okay, we're starting from scratch. I'm rebuilding. I never, ever went through this like you know, the thing that's trendy right now is the deconstruction. I never went through deconstruction. Yep. I went through reconstruction. I love it. Um, I went into the throne room. What I imagine is the throne room of grace. Um, I have expensive taste. So mine's gold everywhere. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I literally just extended my hand to the Lord and said, uh, <laughs> I was like, my name's Ainsley. Let's try this again. It's nice to meet you. I love it. And it was like, just a hunger and a thirst I'd never known before. I straight up felt like the woman at the well where I literally was like going back to the village after experiencing Christ and just sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing and being like, no, this is who he is. Like, this is what the Bible says. This is what, you know, all this stuff. This is yeah. what he can do for you. This is what he can do for you. This is what he did for me. And when I tell you, I was healed in a matter of two weeks. Whoa. I'm not even kidding. Like two weeks, I was- wow. I was fine. Like I was healed. I was genuinely healed. I went to therapy. Wow. I went to counseling. I did EMDR, mm -hmm. um, wow. all because I was like, you know, the Lord gives us these tools yeah. on this earth that we can use as coping skills. And man, it just really helped. That was extremely wow. helpful. And then, uh, the one thing that I kind of keep with me is there's no shame in the throne room. So anytime I want to be ashamed of my story, anytime I want to be ashamed of, you know, veering off the path of my faith or what the Lord had for me, because he, he didn't have abuse for me. No, he didn't, No, but I walked in that and I chose that. And he, he Romans eight, he still use is using this for so much good. When I tell you he's using this for so much good, this is, that is my testimony. Like put it on my gravestone. He yes. is using you know, my disobedience and my return to him for so much good. But the thing that I have to always remember whenever I start to sink back into that temptation of like, man, I just can't believe I wandered so much is that there's no shame in the throne room of grace. You may feel conviction from the Lord, but you're not going to feel shame. You're not going to feel right. this. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it would be just like projection, you know, of anything negative from God, because he's yeah. 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 The microscope. <laughs> he's just, he's so 
craving this relationship and this restoration with you and me and just everyone that he's like, no, no, no. Shame keeps you from me. Mm. You, you can feel that the conviction though, is where, what leads to that repentance, which leads to an intimacy with me. Oh yeah. So that's kind of like what I just keep holding on to is like, there's no shame in the throne of grace. I mean, we're literally bringing in shame to meet the throne room of grace. Those two things coexist. No, that's where it falls off, which I think is a really great point to point out to everybody listening is therapy and everything. All of that is amazing. Do it. That's like, take care of your, you know, steward your body, steward your mind, steward and use all the things Mm -hmm. that are available to you. However, nothing will do more for you than the presence of God, because it's in his presence that shame falls off. It's in his presence that we are healed. It's in his presence that, that everything melts away because nothing else matters in the presence of God than who he is to me and who he is as him, just in general, just looking at the face of Christ, everything else just melts away. So I think that's really important to point out, which Cause at first I was like, oh my gosh, two weeks. That's insane. Like you don't hear people like healing from massive trauma and massive, um, massive life experiences yeah. like that, that are so detrimental. I mean, I have some that took me forever, you know, yeah. but at the same time, I wasn't pursuing intimacy with Christ in the same way you are. You went right to the throne. You knew right into it. You knew where it was. You crashed into it. And I mean, he was open arms the whole time. So it was like, okay, I was just waiting for you. I was just waiting for you yeah. to come so I could just like take it off of you. There you go. Go ahead. Yeah. Go run free now. You're good. So yeah. I think that's super encouraging. I also want to touch on real quick for the women who are listening that have been in abusive relationships where it wasn't your choice. I want to touch on that for a minute and just acknowledge that because it wasn't your choice, it's a little bit different. Ainsley, do you have anything to say towards that? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. No matter what, there is redemption available. And I don't believe that. I, I think that I'm trying to think of how to word this, but I really think that we give humans not enough, I don't know. I think we don't realize like how many choices that other humans make that affect us. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't God that may have put you in that situation per se. It was a human that made a choice that affected you. Right. And I know that there's that saying that time heals all wounds and I just don't buy it. I don't think that's true. I think that there's people in the nursing home that still haven't healed from some of their wounds, but you know, who, who, what does heal all wounds is the Lord. So if you are in a situation that, or have been in a situation that it wasn't your choice, just know that your wounds can still be healed. Um, it's just, it's, and it's just running to the throne room and you, will understand what a supernatural love is and understand what a restorative power is the closer you get to him. And then you'll understand how insane humans are in general and how flawed humans are in general and how in tune to honestly what the enemy is saying humans are in general, like the enemy is at work trying to steal, kill and destroy us. And if we don't recognize that, then we, we kind of blame God for something that he's like, I did not have this for you. I created this garden of Eden that humans free will messed it all up. So whenever we're thinking about the people who hurt us, that that was a choice from that person. That wasn't, you know, the Lord trying to harm you. That was the enemy trying to harm you because the Bible literally tells us that's what he is here to do. There's someone, there's an active force trying to kill you. Like what? Yep. Like what? Every day, every day. And he's going to use all, mo- all means necessary. Mm-hmm. He's going to use all means necessary. Yep. So I think like just being aware of spiritual warfare too, and being aware of like what that even means is really hard. It's really, really hard, especially if you're just like, what the heck, you know, just getting into, yeah. if you're, I don't know, on purees when it comes to growing in, in the word, right. but 
I think that like recognizing that humans are so incredibly flawed and that the enemy has a hold of so many people will help, uh, help under, help us understand that's not God's doing right. That we're in situations outside of our control. Right. And, you know, I feel like too, it's, I can hear in my head, someone saying, well, why did he let that happen to me? Why did he allow it? You know? And that's a very real question that that is very real. Mm -hmm. You know, those are questions that I will say for the throne room one day, because yeah, like that, we don't know everything. We don't know. I mean, down to the part that not saying it was good. It was not good. It was not good. It's not good to God. It's not good to anybody. And God's version of good is never our version of good. It's just not like we, right. He's so other, he's so other. Our mind can't possibly comprehend the entirety of what good is as a concept. And so I think the most important thing is just to know your identity. If you know the Lord and you're Mm -hmm. in Christ, even if you're not just knowing like you have so much intrinsic worth, you are so valuable. You are so important to the Lord that he literally slaughtered his son to save you Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to be a slave to what hurts you and breaks you in this world. He, He overcame brokenness. Not that the world's not broken, but overcame brokenness so that we can, too, through him, overcome the brokenness of the world. And I feel like I just want to remind everybody, like, you got to know who you are. You have to know who you are in Christ. You have to know that you are a daughter. And the reason you're being attacked is not because you did anything wrong. It's not because um, you trusted necessarily trusted the wrong person all the time. I mean, I think, yes, sometimes it can be naivety. And sometimes it can also just be you just love all people and some people just you know surprise you and some people are manipulative and sneaky and crazy and it's not that it's that you have so much intrinsic value that the enemy wants to he'll do anything to steal that away because his identity was stolen he's no longer an angel he's no longer a child of god he's not he'll never be that again so what can he do the only thing he can do is make you question who you are so that you have no power He wants to take your power. And if he can do anything to harm your body that harms your mind, that steals your hope, then he can steal your identity if you allow it. Yep. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you this, this is one of the most amazing testimonies. Like there's, I'm hopeful that there's more to come, but um, when I think about like, oh, you know, why did God allow this to happen to me? even though this specific situation was my own choice. Um, I I have this like baby. Okay. So, well, it, it, this is just the craziest God story. Okay. I love it so much. So Bring my co- my college age sister lives with my husband and I and my six month old. She normally does. And she's obsessed with babies. Like she's Built amazing with center. babies. Yeah. So <laughs> get this. She goes away for the summer. She yeah. goes to work at this Christian camp for the summer. And I'm like, son of a gun. I literally had a built-in babysitter. She's gone for the summer. So I have to find someone, mm-hmm. right? And I eventually, you know, get connected with this girl, this young girl. Mm-hmm. We start, we hit it off. She's amazing. I just awesome. love her so much. I'm just like, you're amazing. She's great. So this relationship evolves into her bringing like a friend over almost every day, just to like hang out it. and meet the baby, like whatever. And I'm like, okay, this is like hilarious. You it. know what that turned into monthly hangouts with her and her friends. Yes. Where I literally just get to tell them a little bit about my story, a little bit about the Lord, a little hear about what's going on in their lives. The last time we met, I'm sitting in my living room. I'm having all these girls in my living room and 90% of them were in toxic, unhealthy, or abusive relationships. Wow. 90%. I'm sitting, I'm sitting here in my living room, restored, whole. And I now get to share how they can reach that and what their Amazing. identity looks like when it's in the hands of God. And that's the thing is like, I don't know you know, ultimately why that was my story. Right. But I know right in front of my face, this is the good that can come out of it. And it is truly, truly incredible. And also I'm thinking about, you know, a relationship that 
someone in my family was really unhealthy my whole life. And then like on my wedding day, uh, they had a come to Jesus moment. And this was, you know, one of those situations that was out of my control. I was born into this relationship that was extremely unhealthy. Um, it felt, it felt like it defined a lot of my insecurities and there was this crazy come to Jesus moment in this person's heart. And they told me about it. And it was because of my relationship with God, I was able to restore that relationship with that person. We are extremely close now and empathy has grown. We've just, just totally restored. And that is the love of God, you know, and that's kind of how these things can show up in the long term when it's something that's in your control. And when it's something that's out of your control, restorative, the restorative power of God is so is where hope lies. I think like, If I know where, where, where to find hope it's in the restorative power of God. Oh yeah. If I'm looking for it, that's where it is. (laughs) Preach, preach. That's so good. Um, so (laughs) from what you just said, you know, restorative power of God and restoring things, how would one go about, because we all know forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for you. How do you, how did you, and when Mm -hmm. did you walk through forgiveness for that person or have you, you know, I, I assume you have because you're healed and you're whole and you're now, you know, able to share that with other people. What did those steps look like for you? And maybe you're not going to go back to that person or trust them again. You know, forgiveness doesn't always equal trust, but how, how did you walk through forgiveness? Good question. I think that forgiveness for, this is going to sound I don't know, maybe, maybe it'll make sense and maybe it won't. I feel like forgiveness for my abuser was a lot easier than forgiveness for myself. Wow. Because, you know, at the end of the day, whenever I'm thinking about him, I'm thinking about the enemy's hold on his life. Mm. And that, that creates empathy. Whenever I think about what God did for me and what the, what the enemy is still doing in him. Yeah. You know, and even, you know, when I, I actually ran into him a month later, after we had broken up, um, I, I saw, I saw very clearly that the enemy was still, you know, just, just had him, the enemy just still had him. And because of the Lord's work in my life, I was like, man, I'm so sorry that you don't know what I'm experiencing right now, that you don't get it. And so I think that forgiveness was it, it, it's almost like, it's almost like a result of your healing yeah. mm. whenever you're in the throne room every day and yeah. you can't help, but not because you're just like, there's, I, I'm experiencing something that's so sweet and so fulfilling that I, I don't have, I, I don't have, my arms are full. I can't hold anything else. I can't hold anything negative. I can't hold this, yeah. a, a grudge because mm. my arms are filled with blessings and healing and hope. I mean, I just can't hold it. Um, and I just saw him and I was just like, wow, that is so sad. And it just empathy kind of popped up for me with that. But with myself, I, I struggled because I didn't really speak up about my story very quickly because I was still trying to figure out if it was even abuse. And I really didn't even, I didn't even call it abuse until three years later. I just thought it was just unhealthy, you know? Right. Um, and so I, I, when I saw it happen to another girl and another girl, that's whenever I was struggling to forgive myself for not speaking up quick enough and not saving someone else from my story. Right. I'm literally like, I'm just letting it happen to someone else. Yeah. And that was really hard. Um, and that was a, that was a whole different process. That was probably harder than the actual okay. <laughs> uh, breakup grief process, that kind of thing, because yeah. I had just run so sh- straight into the arms of God that I was like, and let me say this, I, I was running into the arms of God out of pure desperation. Mm. And I want to be clear about that because I don't want it to seem like I was like, oh yeah, this is, you know, I, I knew this right. was. I don't know. I, I don't want it to seem like, oh, that was just easy for me. Yeah. To do. Like you slipped it right was, back into it. it I just effort almost. Mm. Yeah. That's like, huge. 
it was just, I had nothing else. I, what I've noticed is when people go through something so traumatic in their life and they've come out on the other side of it, which is what we're talking about here, hope, you know, being hopeless and then finding hope mm-hmm. on the other side. Now you're on the other side, whatever it is that marked you, not that the Lord wanted that to happen. I'm not saying that, but the good that can come out of it is now you have the superpower. I feel like, you know, I'm finding that with everybody. They have the superpower from that, that healed over moment where they can now, they have this like radar of like the superpower radar of now you can pick out where it's happening, where before it was almost like, you know, you just didn't notice or you didn't see. It's almost like if, you know, once you, um, what is it? Like once you look at one red car, then you see like 20 red cars everywhere, you know, like that whole thing. Yeah. yeah, Like you have a red car and now you notice every red car in the world. Um, I feel like that happened with me too. When I was diagnosed with UC, I never heard of it. And then all of a sudden, like I know about it. And now everyone in the world has UC or Crohn's or something. Everyone's got an autoimmune. Like it's like everybody. And that's not the case. It's always been the same people in my life. I just, my radar wasn't on because it wasn't a superpower yet. You know, and I feel like for you, that's become such a superpower. So encouragement for those people where that was not intention, the God's intention for your life, but you have this superpower now where you can turn it around for good and save people. You're like, put on your cake. Go do yeah. Thing. Absolutely. It. It's kind of funny that you say cape though, because in, in something you even said earlier, which um, is obviously prophetic, I would say in nature, but whenever I did go into the throne room and finally uh, surrender, I guess uh-huh. um, I did, I felt like I had a, a cape of shame mm. and um and I literally walked into the throne room, the Lord untied it and it fell off of me. He took, there was like a a, a halo of debris and shrapnel. Like it was just kind of like over my head. Mm -hmm. And he literally like, this is all in my head. This is all my imagination. These are all just pictures and, you know, movies. And he takes off the, the halo of debris and tosses it aside and replaces it with a gold shining one. That's, Mm -hmm. I did not deserve that. That is pure grace and it's pure restoration and it's pure, the heart of the father. Um, And so I just love it. You said Kate, because it was removing the shape, the cape of shame and replacing it with the superpower of being marked as a child of God, which there's a verse in Ephesians that I can't think of right now about that marking, but um, that is what your story or anybody's story can hold mm-hmm. whenever you do let go of that shame. And whenever you do pick up your marking um, as your, or your identity, I would say your identity or your marking yeah. um, as a child of God with a purpose created on purpose and moving forward in your identity in him. That's awesome. That's so good. And I love that, that connection. Thanks Lord for the prophetic picture, because I have to tell you, this is so funny when you did, yeah. when you were talking about shame and like the shame, like melts in the presence of the Lord. I literally in my mind, cause I see things, I probably, we probably have a very similar like visual gift from the Lord to like see things, but yeah. I literally like yeah. saw you in the throne room in my mind's eye, as you explained with a cape falling off. And that's when I said, it's almost like shame fell off of you. And then yeah. when I said, put the cape on you, right. I literally had just seen in my mind's eye him put a white cape around you. <laughs> so that is so yeah. cool. I just think that's so cool how, you know, the Lord's that's exactly like, it. This is a, that's exactly what I did. You know, that's, yeah, you're just confirming it. It's yeah. beautiful. So <laughs> yeah. for all of you listening, let the Lord take off your cape 100%. of shame and put on a cape of restoration on you because he wants to give you your superpower. Well, save the world, which yep. is so Jesus. If we're covers yep. with Christ and we're all like, yeah. you know, we're the same, we're his kids you know, he's going to use us in similar ways. You know, he's going to say, okay, this thing sucked. I did not want you to go through that. I didn't, I didn't want that to happen to you. This broken world sucks basically. So I'm going to take this off and then I'm gonna put this new cape on you. And I'm going to send you back out to go like save the people. So I love that. Yeah. A Holy spirit anointed cape. Yeah. Yeah. White and sparkly. (laughs) Mine will have glitter. Because that's how I roll. Um, yeah. Love yes. It. Always. Always. So tell <laughs> me, as we kind of wrap 
a little bit. Um, I want to know one, uh, three, three wrap up questions. One, what scripture, if any, resonated the most with you in that time or afterwards that like just kind of covers that for you? Do you have one? Is there something that comes to mind when you think about it? I think it's, yeah, I think it's the same. It's the same one that still to this day I hold on to. And that is that the Romans eight one, um, that all things will work together for the good of those who love him, because there's so much hope in that verse. And I know my heart, I know that I do love the Lord. And so that honestly just tells me that all things are going to work together for my good. And there's just so much hope. I love it. it. And no matter what happens, um, it's going to be okay. No matter what. Yep. It's going to be good. If it ain't good, it ain't done. I love that. Um, so the second one is who is your faith or hope hero? Do you have a hope hero? Someone that you, it could be someone close to you or like somebody big, whoever. And why? So I'll, I, I think of probably my faith hero, um, is Lisa Harper. She love that just, woman. Gosh. Love her. I mean, I stink and love her. And I listen to her podcast all the time, the back porch theology. Oh, and I feel like she's just like, I mean, I just, I feel like I, she always talks about putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. Right. Right. And I feel like that's what she does. Like that's what she does when it comes to teaching me about theology and the, and faith in general. And I mean, I just really feel like she is my faith hero because of the work that she's doing and how she communicates where it's either relatable or funny or you know, people just, it's just easier to grasp. And I just think that that's exactly how I want to live my life is like, no, I want, I want you to be able to grasp this faith that I have because it's so big and so wonderful. And I just, I need you to know about it. (laughs) You know, she's one of those women that I feel like makes you like, not in like a, like a bad way, but like, are you envy her, her, gushiness with the Lord. Like, I just feel like she just gushes love of the Lord and love of scripture and all that. Like it just like pours out of her. So I love that. I love that woman too. That's awesome. Um, what is one word of wisdom or or encouragement? Can't talk here. And one challenge that you can give our listeners who may find themselves in that similar season right now. I would say give hope and give the Lord a chance because I think, I think it is really easy to, uh, have a victim mindset. And, um, I just want you to have a child of God mindset before a victim mindset, because you may be by the standards of the world, a victim of abuse, but by the standards of God, you are a child of God, anointed survivor who, Romans eight will ring true for. And I just think that like the, there's so much hope in that. And if you can just give it a chance, if you can just try it out, I think you'll see a miracle. I think you will see a miracle. There's no, there's no logic behind being healed in two weeks from an abusive relationship. It's not time healing all wounds. It's Jesus. And it's, it's, it's running to the throne room. And I don't think that I'm unique in this healing journey. Like I think that I'm just, going to the source. I'm just going to the well and I've just received living water and I'm just telling the village about it. That's all that's like Mm -hmm. happening. There's nothing incredibly special about me. I'm just from Louisiana, the fattest, drunkest, dumbest state. And like (laughs) that has the best food ever. It it does. But I'm all about to say, like, it's just nothing you know, on, on paper, I'm nobody. And that's the beauty of the power of God is that he's using nobody to communicate a, an incredible healing, his incredible healing power. Um, I, I mean, and that's hope for me is that he can use a nobody to reach everybody. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And I, one of the things I love that you said there too, is that is important to remember is you ran straight to the source. You know, it's a lot of yeah. us think like, or are afraid to run to an organization or 
even your church sometimes you can be scared. I mean, literally just like a group or like an organization or anything, all that's great. You know, you can run to therapy, you can run all that, all that's great. Get the help. You know, if help is there, get the help. But there's nothing like running to the source and the source is what's going to heal you. The source is what's going to reach deep into the place that's untouchable by human hands. So I think that's super important to point out. And Ainsley, I'm just so grateful that you shared your story with us. Thank you. And with me, I love it. I knew bits and pieces, but to hear the whole thing from your mouth and, you know, hear your heart on it was just so encouraging and so eye-opening for me because like I said, I haven't personally experienced a whole lot of that in my lifetime. And I'm grateful. I'm, I'm really, really thankful that that is in my story. I have other stories, but um, it helps sure. me and others know how to empathize and how to look for things and how to support our friends and um, be an advocate for safety and for, yeah. um, for those around us in our sphere of influence. So thank you so much yeah. for being a part of this. Thank you. And I appreciate will... you having me on. Anytime. You're welcome. Anytime. I love it. And so everybody go get her book. What's the date? Give us the date of release. August 2nd, August, August 2nd. 2nd, August 2nd. So this will probably be in the beginning of August. And so right around then, right around now, when you're hearing this, go get the book, tell them where they can buy it. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, AinsleyBritton.com slash books. It is all there. Awesome. Don't and date a can, Don't date a boobadoo. Don't do it. And where can we find you on the medias? I pretty much hang out on Instagram a lot at Ainsley B. Or if you're in the into the Enneagram, I have an Enneagram TikTok account called Enneagram and yes. Chill. Uh, it is awesome. So. You want to follow. You want to follow. <laughs> That's I where it. I hang out the most. I love it. So we are all going to kind of follow along with Ainsley and support her as best we can in her journey with her book and being a superpower superhero to the world and um, just sharing her story with everybody. So um, I will put all of her info in the description underneath this episode. That's where you can find that. Thanks so much, Ainsley. Thank you. Wow. I don't know about you, but not only am I inspired by Ainsley's testimony, but I also learned a lot, and I hope you did too. Her book, Don't Date a Boo Boo Dude, is officially out today. So head to Amazon or wherever you buy books and support our girl. No matter where you're at, you are not too deep to get out. If you are in an abusive relationship, there is a number that you can call, one 800 799 7233 or you can text start to 88788 again that number is 88788 now if you want to connect with Ainsley you can find all of her media handles in the episode description thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week to hear Dara Sneed share with us how to have hope in the midst of life's inevitable roadblocks don't lose hope